Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, which is, of course, not too far from Philadelphia. Um, and today, as I'm recording, um, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are both in the Pennsylvania area, and neither of them took the time to do my podcast, which is, you know, their one failing so far this campaign. Um, but someone who did take time to do my podcast is uh, my most recent guest from Texas, Her name is Elizabeth Beck. She's running for the state legislature in Texas, which is becoming a hotbed of political activity this year that has maybe not been seen in a long time. Um, Lots of seats are competitive, both for the state legislature and for Congress, and even the presidency is within one or two points, depending on the polls. So we're going to talk about why she's running for office, uh, what her background is, which is very impressive, puts my background to shame, which she's not going to say because she's too nice. And we will learn all about how she is going to hopefully transform some of the politics in her state. Uh, With that in mind, Elizabeth, thank you for talking today. Thank you so much for inviting me to uh, to come on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'm really excited to talk about Texas because I've been involved in politics for 20 years. Jeez, oh, I feel old um, now in some way, shape, or form. And for so long, it seems like people don't people don't talk about Texas because it's just a given that nothing's competitive. And as a result, it seems like there's a lot of great people, and they choose not to run, but you decided to run. Um, when did you decide that you were going to run for office in Texas? Um, I made the leap to um, into this race back in February of 2019 um, is when I finally, um, you know, took the big jump. And so the Texas legislature is... Um, well, it's got a lot going for it, I guess we can put it that way. And it's a very gerrymandered district um, all across the state, right? Like, the districts don't look like squares. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah, I would say that the districts definitely don't look like squares. And I would also say that the Texas House, in its current iteration, does not have a lot going for it. But when we flip it November 3rd, it will have much more going for it. And from everything I've been reading about politics in Texas, uh, it seems like things are trending in a more open-minded direction, more progressive in different places, um, or at least the politics is changing. Is that true in your part? What's, what's your area of Texas like? Uh, so, um, you know, I am southwest Fort Worth in Tarrant County, and the Republicans in Texas like to say, as Tarrant goes, Texas goes, and as Texas goes, the nation. Um, that has been their battle cry for a while, which I am sure at this moment in time they are hoping to walk back, um, because Tarrant County is the last um, urban center to not go democratic uh, in the nation and we are on you know in 2018 we saw beto o'rourke and win tarrant county by a uh, by a narrow margin and it was the first time in a while that people realized that the potential was here um i think for a long time in texas people were republican 
not because um, they held values, Republican values versus Democratic values, but because that's what Texans have been told, Mm -hmm. is that we are a Republican state and Texans are Republicans. So if you wanted to be a Texan, you, um, you signed on to being a Republican, and that is what is truly changing, is that people are realizing that there is not a default in Texas and that the message that they are hearing from the Democratic candidates up and down the ballot is the true Texas message. That sounds very similar to my county of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. For many years, um, it it was the one Republican county while other counties in the state went Democratic. Um, And it was the Republican stronghold. Uh, even once it started going Democratic on a presidential level, the county commissioners and other offices only flipped like within the last 10 years. So, and people here said that you wouldn't get your trash collected if you weren't a Republican. Is that kind of the sense there? Like, look, if you want to play by play ball here, you got to be a Republican. Uh, yeah, that is the sense. And that is still the message, that kind of scare tactic, um, is the, the same message that we see Republicans using in Texas today to try to maintain that, um, that stranglehold that they have had on Texas politics um, from the local you know, levels, um, cities and counties, although our cities are nonpartisan, um, but we've seen that, that, you know, those politics infiltrate, particularly here in Fort Worth, where we have a very open um, Trump-supporting mayor, um, all the way to our, you know, our legislator and our, um, our governor's office. So why is that changing? Because, I mean, it, something has to give that things change. Is it something that's new? Is it the people moving there? Um, I have family there in Dallas. I don't know if they have in Fort Dallas or Fort Worth, but I've had family there for a bit. And um, I don't know. Why are things different now than they used to be? Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about Texas's population growth and how naturally that must be the reason that um, – that politically the state is changing. And while I think that that does play a role in this overall change in um, attitudes in Texas, um, I don't, I'm not going to give, um, you know, demographics the only, or the change in demographics, um, full credit for that, um, for that shift. Uh, I think that, and I definitely hear that when I'm talking to voters in House District 97, uh, voters are waking up and they are looking around and they are seeing the current state of our education system, our health care system, right? What their property taxes look like when they get that bill you know, what type of protections they have at work um, and realize that the Republican Party in Texas is not there to take care of Texans. They are there to answer to the president and to special interests that funnel billions of dollars to them. You know, from talking to so many people on this podcast now, and as I mentioned to people in your campaign, I've now been able to talk to people in all 50 states. 
it seems like the divide in politics right now is not necessarily right versus left, conservative versus liberal. It is conservative ideology, whatever that really means, versus just making government work and that government, like governance matters. Is that fair to say for you guys too? Absolutely. I'd say almost on a daily basis that this race um, at, you know, my state house level and um, at the, you know, presidential level, um, this election is not about left or right, red or blue, Republican or Democrat. It is about the type of person and the values that they hold that you want representing you in government. And that is, I think, a referendum on our on our current leadership because they look at their values. They look at the type of person that they are, the type of decisions that they make. And that is not who they want confronting, um, you know, the very, um, you know, the life or death situation that Texans and Americans find themselves in. So speaking of that, the type of person you are, looking at your your resume, your bio, um, you are obviously a strong candidate to run for office, not to, um, you know, give you too much of an ego, I guess, but um, I think that's probably a big difference in this election in Texas right now is the that they're attracting good candidates like yourself. It seems like you guys are working as a team as opposed to just we got to get someone on the ballot. Is that also a fair thing that like you and others have been attracted to run um, and getting good people to run makes a difference? Absolutely. You know, I have been um, involved in Texas politics for not too long since 2014. Um, But, you know, it went from 2014 to people saying things like, well, you know, I would have voted for, you know, candidate X, but I didn't think my vote counted. Um, And you heard that a lot because of that messaging that Texas was a Republican state. And so even people that um, that would otherwise vote, um, you know, for the Democratic candidate stayed at home. Right. Like Texas isn't you. Texas isn't a Republican state. It's a non-voting state. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we saw those gains, right, like there's a lot of emphasis on flipping the Texas state house this election. And we're nine seats away from taking control, but we wouldn't be um, nine seats away. If in 2018, we hadn't flipped 12 of those seats. And so what you've seen is um, people pay attention. And when we put a strong dynamic candidate on the ballot, that candidate wins. And so you have more people willing to take that chance, right? If you're told it's a, you know, it's a foregone conclusion, oh, you can't win that race. A Democrat can never win in that seat. Mm-hmm. Um, you're much less likely to put forth, the, as you know, the tremendous amount of effort it takes to run a campaign, right? right. And so once we got out of that that, you know, negative feedback loop, you saw um, really high quality candidates stepping up to run, you know, in Tarrant County. Um, not only do we have really strong state house candidates, but we have really strong candidates running for constable or, you know, our judicial positions, our sheriff. Um, 
And that is because we've changed our way of thinking. We now, we have seen that it's possible and we are seizing the day. That's really incredible and inspiring. We have basically the same gulf in Pennsylvania and it almost seems more likely to flip Texas than Pennsylvania um, for, not for the, on the presidential level, but for the state houses because of, you know, people not paying attention, the, the energy, um, but also the good quality candidates. And you have a very strong background for any election. Um, so what are some of the things about you and your background that you think of you, you're hoping to adapt and bring to public office? Sure. Um, So I'm a a mother. I'm a single mother of two daughters. They are 13 and 11. I am a veteran of um, the war in Iraq. I'm a lawyer and I'm a community leader. And all of that life experience um, brings really to the forefront um, two things for me that I think set me apart from my uh, Republican opponent. Um, And one of those is the way that I grew up. Life was pretty chaotic for me as a child. I'm very open about my parents' um, struggle with drug addiction, but I had people that stepped in and filled those gaps, and it was friends and family. It was a high school guidance counselor that made sure I graduated when that was in jeopardy because I worked full-time in high school, and they showed me that just a little bit of empathy can absolutely change the direction of someone's life. Mm-hmm. But for those people, I would not be on the phone with you today talking about running for state rep. Um, and that really informs how I want to govern um, because we need people with empathy in our state house and we need a diversity of voices. We need someone who has watched their parents been, be arrested for a, you know, a minor drug possession charge um, or knows what it's like to get an eviction notice on, um, on the door, right, or have the lights turned off, to be in the room when decisions are being made that will impact Texans. Um, the second thing that I bring to the table is my military experience. Not only does it show a um, commitment to my country, to my community, and a willingness to serve a cause greater than myself, it taught me a lot. It taught me how to work with, live with, and come to love people that do not think, look, or act like you do to, to actualize a successful mission, right? To accomplish a goal. Um, and it's not always easy, but if you keep the goal in mind and, um, and don't pay attention to what makes you different, um, you will see that success. And we need people in the legislature, legislature that will, um, you know, be that, um, willing to do that, right? Like focus on the mission and on the goal and not what separates us. And lastly, it taught me that uh, how to be a leader and how to be an effective leader. And to do that, you have to be willing to get out in front. Leaders lead from the front. And that's not always easy. That means that you're the first person to step off and you're the first person to um, 
to take that, you know, incoming fire when it comes. And so that's scary. Uh, but you have to be a courageous leader um, if you want to be an effective leader. And the Texas um, State House is Texas is facing one of the biggest budget shortfalls that we have seen in a generation. And that is going to take some very tough um, decisions to, to balance that and, and to plug those gaps so that we aren't um, leaving Texans behind. Uh, and that's, that's going to be, you know, a lot of very courageous decisions that are going to need to be made. And that's, um, you know, that's what I want to bring to Austin is that empathy, that voice in the room, that lived experience in that calling for a cause that's greater than myself and that courageous leadership. And, you know, I'm really glad you mentioned empathy first. Uh, I think it's something that I'm confused by people who don't see it as a strength. And you served in Iraq. I've heard many stories of people from the kinds of missions that people in the service had to do in Iraq. Um, I imagine that empathy helps you to be successful um, with that kind of community when you're trying to build relationships and, and do things there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't know everybody's um, experience or position. Um, but you have to be willing to listen and learn and, and, and try to step into their shoes. Because if I don't attempt to do that, if I don't attempt to connect with the voters in my district, how can I effectively go represent them in, in their values in Austin? So you have constituents there. Um, they are trending away from the conservative Texas. It's not even that they're trending away from conservatives so much as trending away from a party that seems not to be listening to them. But what are you hearing from them? Are that are the things you're hearing from them today the same things, the same kinds of themes that you were hearing when you decided to take the leap into politics, considering how much has changed in the last year and a half? Uh, yeah, so I would say they're not trending away; they are fleeing right. away. Um, and the the issues that I was talking about before COVID nineteen um, are the same issues that I'm talking about now. And not because I didn't adapt, but because the issues that mattered were are have been brought to the forefront when we've entered, you know, a, a global pandemic. Uh, I've been talking about healthcare and how we need to expand access to quality and affordable healthcare, right? Um, and that was because that's what Texas needed to succeed, right? And if, if we had put policies in place before a global pandemic hit, if we had expanded Medicaid in Texas, um, we would not see the devastation that we have seen in Texas, particularly to our black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been talking about paid sick leave and how um, no one should risk losing their car or losing their home because they lost income because they were ill, right? Well, now it's no longer just a moral imperative, right? But people see the impacts to them if 
I'm unable to take a day off work because I'm sick, right? Now it directly impacts everyone's life, right? And I've been talking about education and how we need to fund education, how we need to make sure that our teachers have the resources that they need so that our children can be successful. And now um, we have seen classrooms, you know, come into our living rooms become classrooms, right? And we have watched um, our schools and our school districts struggle to, um, to address the needs of their students and not um, not just because they don't have funding, but because our state um, has has crippled them, has kneecapped them um, with this one size fits all, you know, onerous um, uh, regulatory scheme, right, an oversight scheme, and so school districts are no longer allowed to um, adapt and meet the needs of their unique community. You know, a community, say, in Fort Worth, right, our school district has slightly over 80,000 students, has to meet the same, um, you know, standards uh, that, say, you know, Alpine, Texas does that has, uh, you know, a dramatically different uh, smaller population, rural population. And so there's a much higher cost burden on Fort Worth and Dallas than there would be in that smaller district because you have to pay for more teachers, more office, more school space, more everything else, right? Well, yes and no. So yes, there's more, right? So with more comes more cost, but the way that we have financed our public education system in Texas, um, it is property value driven. Mm-hmm. Um, because the state has stopped paying its fair share of educating Texans and pushed that burden on to homeowners. So, um, you know, you see great disparities in the opportunities for education and what school districts um, can provide because it's largely dependent on um, on the property value of that community. So, um, you know, yes... Fort Worth ISD, um, it takes more to run that district, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that a rural district is um, is at an advantage because their property values um, in that district could be significantly less. And when we have that same exact issue in Pennsylvania, and you know, my district, we have great property values mostly because of commercial buildings, not not even just the residential, though that too, and. It's, it really does seem like something that is so matter-of-fact that it shouldn't be partisan, and yet it is. And that seems to be a big detriment to how politics should work based on how you and I probably went to school and learned civics, right? Correct. Correct. So one other thing you mentioned is paid sick leave. And I just read this story in Philadelphia, um, and I'm sure it's true there, of people who didn't want to get tested for COVID um, because if they were found to have COVID, they would not be able to work for two weeks. And so that put others at risk. Do you see that kind of thing happening in your community as well? Um, I, I can imagine that the exact same thing is happening here, right? When, uh, when you can't afford to get sick, um, you're going to take that risk. Unfortunately, and I don't think that it, 
you know, I think it's easy to point a finger and say, well, that person is being selfish because they're, you know, um, they are uh, exposing, you know, however many number of people. But, um, and, and, you know, that very well could be the case. They could just not care. But I would, I would venture to say that it's because they are in a position that they don't have any other options. Right. If it's, you know, well, let's hope for the best and I can feed my kids and we're not tossed out on the street. um, You know, they're going to make that choice. And it's an unfortunate choice. And it's one that we it's a corner that we have backed them into. And the other thing you did mention that I have seen from so many states now is expanding Medicaid. Um, Kansas is going through this right now as a big issue and has been with a big division between the parties. Um, do you, what, what do you see as the big advantage if you and eight others are able to flip the state house in, in Texas, what would be the impact of expanding Medicaid in your state? Uh, so there's the moral imperative, mm-hmm. right? Like expanding Medicaid means that, um, in large part our, you know, neediest children now have access to, uh, healthcare. But there's an economic um, argument to be made for it as well. You know, Texans annually pay $34 billion in federal taxes that that goes to Medicaid expansion in the 37 states that have accepted it, right? So we're giving our money away to other states. Um, And, you know, it's... It's not a wise investment to turn that money down. You know, states have to come up with a portion of those funds. Uh, but it is, you know, for every one we spend, we get $9 back. And if I ran into you on the street and said, if you will hand me $1, I'll give you 9 You would hand me $1, you know, $1 bills until one of us, ran, whoever ran out first, mm-hmm. right? Um, but our state does that. Our state says no. Not because we did we don't have the money to to pay you know our our share of to be able to draw down those funds, but because the name of the legislation is Obamacare, and it's a partisan decision, and they are playing with people's lives because of the name mm-hmm. of a bill. Now, when I feel like Republican politicians are very out of step with even their own voters on this. Like, Oklahoma just passed Medicaid expansion. So did Missouri. And it's not like those are super liberal places, right? So do you find from talking to people that the Republicans in office in Texas just don't even understand that the people of the state are very much more forward than they expect? Uh, I think they are choosing to be willfully ignorant on the on the issue. Um you know, trade organizations and um, lobbies that you would historically, um, you know, label as leaning Republican are pushing for Medicaid expansion, right? Um, You know, the business lobby says expanded. The medical, you know, our medical um, professionals say expanded, right? Um, Study after study talks about the benefits of expanding uh, Medicaid, yet they choose not to. Um, And they choose not to because they choose to pander to a a dwindling, a a 
fast dwindling base of hard right voters. Um, and it goes back to that idea of, you know, being a Texan means that you're a Republican, right? And they have failed to correct their way of thinking. And it's why we see, you know, Texas in play at the state level and at the national level mm-hmm. is because, you know, everyone else has and they haven't caught up. Yeah, it, it does feel to me, having grown up in politics now and you have been paying attention for in various ways for a long time too that what it means to be republican doesn't even make sense to me anymore it doesn't like i feel like i grew up understanding that republican meant a certain level of values that i may not have agreed with but now because it's just so tied into one guy i i feel like it's almost empty does that seem to be the way that the republicans are in texas like no true goals or governing philosophy just whatever this one guy says. Yeah, I think so. I I definitely think that the people that are leaving the Republican Party absolutely um, feel that way. And it's certainly the um, impression that I get when, you know, when I talk to voters. It's, you know, I think it started with this hard right turn on social issues. Right. So it started with women saying, well, you know, I used to be a Republican, but the Republican Party left me behind um, when they took this hard stance on choice. Right. Um, And you have seen that just expand. Right. As they continue to stomp their feet and take these, um, you know, head in the sand, um, hard right um, stances they lose more and more Texans because those Texans have empathy, believe Mm -hmm. in equality, believe in public education, right? Um, And they they turn around. They've been, you know, marching down this um, Republican path for, uh, you know, really since since the 90s, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And they have stopped and turned around and realized that the Republican Party wasn't marching with them, right? That it it turns out they have been aligning with the values of the Democratic Party of equality and justice. And, um, and, you know, that idea of looking out for your neighbor, like when did when did looking out for your neighbor and doing the right thing for your community become a democratic value? I mean, that in itself should um, should really tell you where the Republican Party is today. Yeah, that seems like it's the American story, not a partisan one, and yet it's unfortunately become a partisan one. And I don't really understand why it has to be that way. And it's discouraging but it's encouraging hearing people like you push back um you are running for office and i would hope that other people would listen and run for office too what are your what is how are you helping others because you i've seen your your cool video on social media um what are your is it fun are you working with others to amplify them and they amplify you uh so you know i got into this because i spent uh the last six years working with an organization here in Texas called Annie's List mm-hmm. to get um, to get other women elected, and um, and so I think that as I um, I know that as I started this campaign, 
um, I brought to it that sense of, you know, helping others get elected. And I am so lucky that um, as I moved through this journey, I found others on this journey with me um, and realized that um, life was going to be better in Austin if they were in the ledge with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, likewise, likewise, they realize the same thing. And so it's uh, so yes. Do we amplify each other? Absolutely. Um, and we do it for a couple of reasons. One, we're you know we have become each other's support network through this process, which can be a very lonely process. Um, but also because we know um, how incredibly powerful each other's voices are and want to make sure that that voice is in the room with us. And so, you know, I think that it is part of this spirit of taking back the house and looking to see who I want, you know, who do I want my colleagues to be and making sure that, um, that they're, they're with us. Um, And so in that sense, it's very rewarding. It can be very fun. Um, But, you know, I also think when anyone runs for office, uh, you have the ability to um, to give back to others, win or lose. Um, you know, I am very forward about um, you know how my how my life was impacted by my parents, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that's really difficult for many people to talk about. And certainly for me, um, I um, I did not run for office until I knew that I was comfortable sharing that part of my story because I knew that it was part of my story. Um, And so, you know, my hope is in being honest and um, authentic about, you know, who I am and what shapes me, that other people, whether they're moms or they, you know, had a uh, traumatic childhood, um, you know, look at me talking about it and know that they can do it too right and that um that they can step up and run and we all do that in some way you know we all bring a piece of us to the table um for others yeah your story is very different from some others obviously your your story is unique but um the way you talk about it does remind me of people like my friend bethany hallam who ran in um allegheny county pennsylvania last year um, do you, if you're talking to people to encourage them, um, to run for office, would you encourage them to tap into their personal story more so than the issues? Like, I think that's probably what, is that what's resonating more is people knowing you versus just a list of policy procedures that any Democrat could have? You know, I think when people know how you got to those conclusions mm. on those policy issues, um, is is what um, is what resonates with people, right? Um, you know, I can tell you that um, that transportation infrastructure is really important to me, right? Mm-hmm. Or I can tell you about how I was a transportation planner at our regional council of governments, right? Um, and we've got to do better. And you understand that it's not just a um, a partisan line that I'm drawing or something that I think the vote, you know, uh, I'm not doing it for purely political reasons, um, but there's an experience there. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, when I talk about criminal justice reform or public education, right, you know I mean it when I say it because I've told you why I mean it. 
you know, that reminds me, the other person I really want to talk to from Texas is uh, Krista, who's running for the Texas Railroad Commission. I think that that is uh, an election that really probably deserves more attention. These kind of races under the radar um, that make a big difference. They all do. Look, absolutely. And that is, you know, that is one of the races that here in Texas, we have been trying to ring the bell about, right? Um, Because it had that position is something that um, that you're not going to learn in civics class, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, you don't, people don't hear about it. And they hear Railroad Commission and they think, you know, of, uh, you know, the train trying down the track, right? But it has such an impact on our state Especially because it's, yeah, Absolutely. Because we are, you know, we are an energy producer. That energy is in large part oil and gas. And the Railroad Commission, um, they uh, they regulate so much of how we get that from, um, you know, from our our oil fields to our gas pumps. Well, it's really impressive. And I think that one of the lessons from hearing from you and others is that in 2020 versus other years, it's fun and rewarding to run for office as a Democrat in Texas. Um, but if people want to learn more about you and they want to find out what's going on in Texas and maybe learn about some of the others too, where should they go to follow you and learn more? So they can go to my website. It's elizabeth4texas.com. Um, and they can also go to Facebook. Um, Instagram, Twitter, uh, to learn, um, to, you know, follow what the campaign's doing and learn how they can uh, not just learn more about me, but how they can get involved in making sure that we flip this seat. Um, because I tell um, folks from across this country that this is a local election that has national implications because we will be redrawing um, the you know, our districts in the next legislative session, um, Texas is expected to pick up three congressional seats. Um, and the question is, do you want someone, uh, do you want a legislature that is going to draw fair maps that allow um, the people of Texas to elect the leaders that represent them and the values of their community? Or do you want them drawn so that the balance of power is shifted um, for the next 10 years? Well, I know who I would want to see <sighs> shifting the power. I'm really excited to find out what happens and to hopefully get others to find out, too. If you're listening, please read up on Elizabeth. Her website is elizabethfortexas.com. Like she said, it's a really easy website to, to get. You're lucky that no, no other Elizabeth had it. So good for you for that. Um, and, and she's at Elizabeth4TX on Twitter. I highly recommend you follow and pay attention to Texas. It is not a state that you should ignore. Um, Elizabeth, thank you so much for giving your time. I know it's so valuable, especially so close to the election. Thank you. And I really appreciate you, appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, um, to tell your listeners a little bit more about me and why they should care about the Texas State House.